as, as Anders comes up uh, to preach um, on today's passage, um, the kids are uh, going out to uh, Mother's uh, beautifully led kids kids uh, church today. So, uh, so if there's a uh, um, primary primary uh, preschool kids, if uh, now's your chance uh, to to have the wonders of that. Uh, but let me pray um, as Anders um, comes up to us. Father God, you're a God who cares deeply and intimately for each one of us here today. You know our lives, our hearts, minds, and our words before they've even left our tongues. Still the busyness of our thoughts and help us to concentrate and see your greater plan, your beauty and your wonder. Help Andis to preach clearly and faithfully And may we find hope in Jesus and who he is and in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gina, for reading for us uh, so so clearly. Welcome to Andres. My name is Andres. I'm I'm so privileged and and, uh, it's such a privilege to be speaking to you and to be bringing the Word of God to you, not only this morning, but many, many other mornings. Uh, special welcome if you're visiting today. Uh, and just, just generally, um, I want to commend you guys, well done, for making it actually today. You know, autumn, autumn can be a, a very challenging month. Our heads are, you know, very full of things, maybe studies, or you are settling in. In, in Riga, you know, you feel that there's a lot of things to be done and generally just things that happen uh, around us can be overwhelming and you know there's a temptation there you know maybe i just just skip it maybe i just you know spend the sunday in my pajamas or whatever but well done for making it and uh, you never know god has always always um, a blessing for us as we come together to listen to his word to pray to encourage one another so well done for making it please keep your one timothy three open as we as we make our way through it. Now, in, in our first year of marriage, Mander and I, we lived just down the road, down the Chucker Road, on the Archelarius uh, Road crossing. And one day, as I left the house, um, I was stopped. I was stopped by this gentleman, uh, and he wanted he wanted some money. He asked for some money. Well, back in the days, I actually had physical money on me. You know, it's not the case always nowadays. So I gave him what was then two lats, Latvian lats. Maybe some of you remember. Anyways, there's one new thing. Before Euro, there were lats. Uh, but being Christian, I didn't want to give, you know, just give money. I wanted to give Christianly. So I, as I was handing over my two lads to this guy, I said, um, may God help you. And, and yeah, that's where the things got slightly awkward. Not that I expected adoration or hugs or kisses for those two lads. Well, maybe a simple thank you would do. But instead, this gentleman, he looked at me with his big eyes and he shouted back, where is God? Where is God? Show me, show me, where is God? I honestly don't remember how the conversation went on. It was, what, 20-something years ago. Um, but how would you respond 
if someone, you know, after the service, on your way home, or maybe in other places, tomorrow in your university, your workplace, would ask a question as you want to share something about God. Where is God? Show me. Where is He? How would you respond? Well, I suppose if you are um, a Christian, you might say one or two things. Uh, you might say, well, look at a tree. Well, not that there's any trees there, but anyways, you look at the one. Look at a tree. Look at a tree. Uh, where do you think it comes from? And thus you would pointing a person to God's general revelation in the creation, right? Or you might say, oh, look, I have a Bible in my bag. You know, just... I'm going to take out the Bible, let's look at a verse together. And, and thus you would be pointing a person to God's special revelation in, the, in, in His Word. Well, both of these options are perfectly valid, absolutely legitimate. But that is not where Paul goes in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 today. Paul actually agrees with the gentleman on the corner... Uh, shop by saying, yeah, actually, he's right. God is invisible. Just turn with me to chapter 1 and verse 17. Do you see chapter 1, 17, in his adoration, Paul mentions that God indeed is invisible. That's what Paul says. He can't be seen. But how can, how can Paul and we attribute honor and glory to God if he cannot be seen. How? And Paul's answer, because of God's mercy and grace. One fifteen, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But there is more. Look at verse 16, the next one. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Did you notice this little word, display? Now, Paul's life and ministry was the display of Jesus, God the Son, for everyone to see. According to Paul, the man at the corner shop is ignorant of God, not because he hasn't seen trees around him, nor because he, he doesn't know that the Bible is the word of God, generally speaking. No, he is ignorant of God because he hasn't seen any Christians, no real Christians in his life. Why spend time in chapter 1 again? And well, if our text is, is chapter 3, it is because our, our, our three verses, as Andres was setting them up, is the climax of all that Paul has been saying so far. In fact, they state in an urgent way the very purpose of why Paul is writing these, these, uh, this letter. Just glance at verse 14 in chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know. So there's an urgency. Now, if, if you have only recently joined us, that we are 
in the middle of 1 Timothy series, as, as we already told. Well, Timothy is a pastor in the church in this great Roman city, Ephesus. And Paul, Paul knew Timothy, and Paul knew the church very well. But he also knew of the problems in this church. False teachers had risen in the church. Their departure from the faith in the gospel had impacted the life and witness of the church, as we already saw in previous weeks. Men were quarreling about the secondary issues. Women, they were seeking to, to snatch the authority from the leaders in the church, quite possibly. And the leaders seemed to be failing or falling into various snares of the devil because of their lifestyle issues. And thus the church in Ephesus was no longer fit for purpose. So Paul sends Timothy to sort out things. Paul himself wants to come in person, but if he delays, he now writes to Timothy so that he would know what to do and what to teach. Well, let us read again uh, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So I think the main point is, is very simple from, from these verses, isn't it? The godly living of the church is the display of the gospel to all people. The godly living of the church every day is the display of the gospel to all people. So the first thing today is godliness is essential because it enables the truth to be displayed. The other day I was chatting with, with Andres actually about how our church might reach more international people in Riga. And you know, there are many ways I think. We could join some of the forums or groups where the internationals hang around, where they are. Or we could join some of the activities where the students are invited to. And we could see how the summer can be used more to reach out to the internationals who stay in Riga, you know, who don't go back home over the summer. Church should be visible. But what should be most visible about the church? Now, Paul would say church should not be primarily known for her busyness, but for her godliness. Godliness is essential. Paul wants Christians to know how to behave in the church. But what does it mean? To behave. What does he mean by that? Is it about um, how I dress on Sundays? Well, partially. We already were talking about that. Is it about not swinging my feet as I sit down on a bench in the church? It could be. Is it about not drinking half of the coffee on my own on Sunday? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> know how to behave in the church. Absolutely. It could be a lot of these things. But that's not what Paul really has on his mind. What Paul has in his mind is how Christians live from Monday to Friday. That's what he's, he's talking about. 
what they are like at home, what they are like at work, what they are like in university, in school. Are they gentle and sober-minded? Or are they generally angry and impulsive and unpredictable? Uh, what are they like in, 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 in the area of sexuality? Are their desires under control or are they constantly out of control? What, are they, what is their language like? Is it kind? Is it gracious? Or is it crude? Is it double-tongued? How, um, how they are handling their drink? Are, are they moderate or are they excessive? How, how they are um, with money? Are they generous or are they more on a greedy spectrum? So if you don't mind me asking, what kind of witness do you think you are? How are you perceived by your family, neighbours, doormates, your fellow students, your work colleagues? What are they saying when they are talking about you? These are very searching questions, aren't they? Now, I remember once having a conversation with a man about the, being a witness uh, for Jesus in the workplace. I asked him, how is he doing uh, at his work? Is he making any difference in his work um, for Jesus? And then he started really telling me of, of all these terrible ways he is suffering in his workplace um, amongst his um, work colleagues. And what I asked him, why was that? Uh, then I learned some of, some of the, the things that he's been dealing with, his witness strategy. At some point, listening to him, I had to stop him and be fairly frank in my, in my, in my conversation. And I said, my friend, you're not suffering in your work for Jesus because of your winsome gospel witness but because you are being a moralistic moron. Excuse me. <laughs> Turns out what he was simply doing, he was constantly pointing with his finger to his colleagues about everything they were doing wrong according to the Bible. It's, it's not a winsome, winsome strategy. Now I wonder what his work colleagues would say if asked why they're not being part of a local church. What do you think his work colleagues would say? Well, I bet it would be something like that. Oh, um, oh we already have one self-righteous uh, church-going, Bible-bashing Christian in our office, so thank you. No, we don't want anything to do with this. I think probably, probably they would say something like that. So, friends, godliness is essential. Godliness is, is very, very essential. But I think, I think we also need to understand that godly living isn't something you just sort of artificially put up as a show, you know, as a facade, you know, is that a word? I, I bet it would be um, something that, that the, our friends and work colleagues would immediately spot and call us um, a, you know, a fraud. Instead, godly living is something, Paul says, that flows out of who you are. The godly living flows out of our identity. Verse 15, Christians are the household of God, the church of the living God. Godly living must flow out of our identity, out of 
who we really are. People who belong to God are Savior, who want all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, so let me ask again, are, are we perceived as members of the family um, of a good and gracious God? Is that how, how people think about us when they interact with us? Oh, he is, he's part of this extraordinary family who belong to this good and gracious God. Friends, we should deeply, deeply care about it. Godliness is essential because, because it enables the glorious gospel to be displayed. That is what Paul means when he says that the church is a glass pillar and buttress of the truth. Godliness is essential because it enables the truth to be displayed. Well, just to be clear, the mission and purpose of the church is the proclamation of the gospel, okay? The verbal declaration of the truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, I feel I need to re restate it, really, because, because someone might listen you know, to, to, to the talk so far and think that people are drawn in the church and become Christians because of my godly living. But that is not what I was really saying. Let me back up. The man holding two lats at the corner shop on Chaka and Artillerius Corner, he's our case study today, okay? Um, can only become Christian through hearing the gospel, okay? Only. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That, that's what Paul said to the church in Rome. That's the only way. Paul sincerely affirms that. Just glance at chapter 114. He sincerely affirms this truth by saying, The grace of our Lord that overflowed for him with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul became Christian. Okay? Grace of our Lord overflowed for him. And also chapter 2 verse 4 saying that anyone in Ephesus, any rigor, can be saved only through coming to the knowledge of the truth. Only the knowledge that there is only one God and there is only one mediator, Jesus. In other words, the church is God's... Well, let me back up one more time. So that's, that's the only way. But that is not, that is not what Paul emphasizes in our passage. Paul emphasizes the fact that our gospel witness should be backed up by godly living. That's what Paul is talking about, okay? Even more that our godly lives are the plausibility structure, the pillar and buttress for the gospel to be displayed. That's Paul's focus and emphasis. In other words, the church is God's showroom. I assume anyone here has been in Riga at least one time in Ikea. Well, maybe if you're just reasonably visiting. You haven't been, but you know what Ikea is. Everyone knows. Basically, Ikea is one huge showroom, okay? And what is the thinking behind the showroom? 
Why it's there even in IKEA? It exists so that the people would go into this huge shop and say, I want this. I want to live here. I want to live like this. That's the, that's the sole purpose of the, of the showroom, right? And boom, the vision of IKEA is fulfilled. It's there. You know what the vision of IKEA is? I, I googled it up uh, last week. To create a better everyday life for the many people. What's that? <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing fancy. They achieve it through the showroom, I bet. Well, similarly with the church, it is God's showroom. Think of the church as God's showroom, okay? Where the truth of the gospel is displayed for everyone to see. Men and women living simple, orderly lives while boldly declaring the gospel of the glory of God, God's children. Now, I was chatting with someone uh, from the church a couple of weeks ago and, and telling about this, the, the membership course that we started last Wednesday. And the person said, right, I'm, yes, yes, indeed. What is the vision of the Grace International Church? What, why do we exist? How does, um, just let me ask you a question. How does our today's passage, how does 1 Timothy series help us answer this question? Why are we here? Why do we exist? Is it not to know the grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord? And to make him known to others. Is it not simple as that? By being God's showroom. Make Jesus known by being God's showroom and boldly declaring the gospel. His plausibility structure for the gospel is the church and its living. Why? Why? So that people would look at the church and say, I want to live like this. I want this. I want to I want to live here. You know, welcome. Take your mattress, move in, you know, just we'll have space here. Well, but that is not what Paul says, nor where the passage really leads us. You see, the godly living of Christians is never about us. Okay? The godly living of Christians is never about the organization. It is never about the movement. It is never about lifting up our own name, you know, as a label, as a lot of mega churches have done. No. And if we're honest, how often do we actually feel like this splendid IKEA showroom anyway? Do we not, for most part, feel like a rundown warehouse with a leaking roof? <laughs> if we're honest. So what, what is the key to living godly life? Where, what is the engine? Where is the strength? Where is the power for it? And Paul says it is all about Jesus. It is all about lifting up the name of Jesus. So the second thing, godliness is essential because it's all about Jesus. That takes us to this, this last verse, verse 16. Now, let us read it together. Paul says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He 
who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's it. He. Well, maybe you are someone who is, is fairly new to Christianity, just exploring, and you are still wondering, what is this all about? What is Christianity really, really about? Is it more about rules and regulations? Is it more about rituals and rites? Is it about uh, priests and pilgrimages, maybe? Is it about morals and ethics? And I would say there is some truth in all of those descriptions. They, they in one or the other way, fit in. But according to Paul, Christianity is primarily predominantly about Christ. Christianity is Christ. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. The next word is He. Jesus. Now, before we think about why Paul has chosen to describe it like that in here, well, let me, uh, let me take, take us through the, the description itself. Okay, of verse 16. So, so first, that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. And what, we, what Paul says here, what he means is, the invisible God, the Son, became flesh. Invisible God became seen. He was seen by so many people, as we read in the Gospels. And the goal of this Jesus' manifestation in the flesh, we know, was to suffer. It was to die. So Paul says God was seen. He was manifested in the flesh. But he was rejected. And that's why the next thing is, Paul says, Jesus, he, the mystery of Godliness, was vindicated by the Spirit. Uh, just remember Jesus himself saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He was quoting the prophet Isaiah. To proclaim the good news. The Spirit of Lord is on me. And Jesus' ministry, in many, many instances, was vindicated by the Spirit. But, supremely, supremely, Jesus is vindicated by the Spirit. Where? At his resurrection. That's what Paul means in Romans 1 when he says, He, Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, vindicated by the Spirit. Now, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection is the display of God's work through Jesus on earth. These are the first two things. And we have another pair, seen by angels, and four proclaimed among the nations. I think these two talk about the greatness of Jesus, how great he is. The angels see the risen Christ and they marvel. They marvel at the wisdom of God. How is it even possible? Who could ever imagine that God is so, so amazing and wise? So angels see it and they marvel. And, and in Acts, in Acts we see how the apostles proclaim what the risen Jesus amongst the nations. That's what they, they do. 
And I think that the only difference between seen by angels and proclaimed among the nations is that angels clearly see God's plan. You know, it's just laid out. It's completely understandable to them. But that's what many people do not see yet. And even as, as the gospel is proclaimed, they don't see the risen Jesus yet, as, as the angels do. But what is the response? What is the response of that work? It's fourthly, it, Jesus is believed in the, in the world. Jesus is believed in the world. Despite people not being able to see the risen Jesus physically, okay, countless millions throughout the human history have responded to the gospel in faith. And finally, we read... He, Jesus, is taken up in glory. Jesus was accepted by his Father and surrounded by all the heavenly host in the glory. It talks about the ascension of Jesus to his heavenly throne. Now, why is Paul telling us this here? And, and why is Paul telling it in, in this way? Well, my take on it is that, that so that the church in Ephesus, that in, indeed the church in Riga too, would not be confused about godliness. Now, by saying that godliness is a mystery, Paul doesn't mean it is unknown. You know, it, we are in complete darkness. No. Quite the opposite. It is in the open. It is in the open for everyone to see. He, Jesus is the mystery of godliness. He can be seen. Well, the key about godliness is that it is someone else. Like godliness, Paul, doesn't mean first and foremost, um, how am I doing? He doesn't mean first and foremost, my behavior, my upright living, my performance. Well, because the only way to a changed life and changed behavior is through Jesus and Him saving us. Okay? Friends, this is so, so crucial to understand. May I just restate it? Because we are from so many different cultures and from so many different backgrounds here. Just hear me, hear me very plainly and clearly. We cannot please God with our lives on our own. Full stop. That is impossible. Only those who live in Jesus can live a radically transformed life. Indeed, not only can, but must live a radically transformed lives. Again and again, in 1 Timothy, we see how the gospel, and only the gospel, leads to godliness or godly living. It was Paul's testimony in chapter 1, 13 and 14, wasn't it? Uh, you could glance in, in chapter 113. I was a blasphemer. I was persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. But what happened? Where the transformation comes? Where? But I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Gospel leads to godliness, to transformation. Now, I bet if we would go around the room, even now, sharing briefly our testimonies, 
about how we became Christian, I think we would hear something very, very similar here today. You know, something like that. I lived such and such a life. Then the grace of God shone into my life through the message of 115, which is, again, Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so now I am able and willing to live a new life, a different life. I'm able to live for Jesus now. Praise God. But I think Paul wants to go one step further as we are sharing this testimony. Here is the question. How do people become Christians even today? Well, let me put it in other words. How do people get from line 4 in verse 16 to to line 5? Just glance at line 4. How do people get from proclaimed among the nations to believed on in the world? What What is the missing bit in between? And Paul's answer is the church. The church is the missing bit. The church that makes the unseen God visible through a peaceful and quiet life, you know, chapter 2 2, godly and dignified in every way. So that is the missing bit. The church is the missing bit. The godly witness, the godly witness of the church. So, friends, this is sort of round this up this morning the man at the corner shop was right in some way God cannot be seen but that does not mean nothing can be seen the Christians can be seen today we can be seen the church of the living God his household can be seen what is God's strategy for reaching the world the church that's his strategy What is God's strategy for reaching the internationals in Riga? What is? Just look around you. We are are God's strategy for reaching internationals in Riga. Indeed, we might not seem to be all that impressive. You know, we might not have all the eloquence that we think we should have. Or we might not have all the knowledge that we think we should have. Or we might not have all the resources that we think we need. But dear friends, we have the gospel. We have the risen Jesus by the Spirit living in us. Have you thought about that? In us individually and in us as the church. He is present even now by His Spirit. Now on Wednesday is our membership course. Massey, I think it was Massey and I, we chatted about how great it is just to gather around some meal and to chat about what God is doing in His world, you know, through His church, for His big plan for the church. And then he said, well, 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 but I could do something like that in my dormitory. I think it was something that Massey said. And I thought, what a great idea. What a great idea. Maybe more of us, we could think about uh, something like that. Just think about Christmas is coming. You know, it seems like only you know, September has passed. Well, now Christmas is coming. It's going to be very soon here. Why not consider inviting some of your um, church friends around and some of your work colleagues or maybe university friends or whoever is here and whoever you know 
why are you writing them for dinner? And why not in the same time book Andres and Jedi? Or maybe me for five minutes talk. Sorry for watching you guys. <laughs> Just a five-minute presentation of the gospel and then opening up for questions and answers. You know, from, from people who are just, you know, ignorant of Jesus. Actually, why not do that? I have these John's Gospels. They are in English. I have a little stack of those. I just found them in the office. And we could look at John's Gospel with your work colleagues or uni mates, and they can keep those. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good thing to be thinking about. Friends, God, God cannot be seen by your friends and work colleagues. But it doesn't mean that nothing can be seen. They can see us. They can see you. The household of the living God can be seen. The church that holds up and holds out the gospel truth about Jesus, that church can be seen. The mystery of godliness, he can be seen through the Grace International Church. So let me, let me close with this summary from an author who commented on 1 Timothy. Listen. Just as the heart of the gospel is, Christ came into the world to save sinners. The heart of the Christian life is to follow Christ into the world through embracing godly living in order that the glorious gospel is displayed for all to see. Let's pray. Indeed, Heavenly Father, so often we do not feel like being a great and splendid showroom of your work. We do not feel as the plausibility structure for your precious life-giving gospel. Uh, our lives so often are so messed up. We feel so weak. But Father, we praise that godliness, godliness has never been primarily about us. Thank you that the mystery of godliness is hidden and now revealed in Jesus. In Jesus who was manifested in the flesh Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So, Father, as we get hold of the gospel, as we get hold of who Jesus is, how great and awesome He is, Father, may it really transform us on daily, on daily basis. May it really spares us on to live for Him and so to become this display room, both individually and as a church, for all the world to see, for our work colleagues, for our university friends, for our dorm mates. Father, we pray that you would work through our feeble efforts and through our very much incomplete uh, living but you would really shine through us in this world for your glory and for salvation of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.